0: How's everybody doing this morning? If you were here last week, then you were blessed because it truly was an epic Sunday. I know those were the points of the message, but really, uh, those who have been here for a while, just for me to, to watch and see just the fruit of years of parents pouring in the kids, our children's ministry pouring in kids, um, the student ministry pouring into those kids, and them becoming young adults and seeing them sent out to to just committed to serve the Lord and honor the Lord at the school they go to or their work, wherever whatever's next season for them. It was just a real joy, and it was just an awesome Sunday. Um, today, we're going to pick up where we were before uh, last week, which was Luke 19. We had looked at Zacchaeus in 1 through 10. Today, we're looking at verses 11 through 27. And in these verses, we're looking at uh, the return of the Lord and, and clarifying. Jesus tells a parable to kind of help us understand how to think about that rightly it's really something that's on everyone's heart just this week uh, i was at the pt now that doesn't surprise anybody right because that's what i do now at 51 i go to the pt i was sitting there trying to think how i could get a multiple discount because i was like well i'm here for my elbow but my back hurts my neck hurts you know chris is like seriously i'm not we're gonna do one at a time but uh so while i was there i was checking out the office manager and she took my payment and then right before I left, I, we reconnected since coming to PT. We grew up knowing each other, and I hadn't seen her in years. But right before I was leaving, she said, Tracy. And I said, well, she's real soft-spoken. She said, when is Jesus coming back? <laughs> and I said, Karen, I don't know. I was like, but it's not soon enough for me. And she said, me either. I said, but he is coming back. Well, that's what we see the conversation in Luke 19, 11 through 27. They're talking about. Jesus and Him establishing His throne, His reign over the His kingdom, and look what He says in verse nineteen eleven, chapter nineteen eleven he says, as they heard these things, referring to what He had just said in verse ten, as they heard these things, He proceeded to tell a parable, because He was near to Jerusalem, and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. That's important. That's the context of what's going on. So remember, Jesus has been walking with his disciples heading toward Jerusalem, right? And we've been tracking with Luke's record of this journey towards Jerusalem. And as he enters to Jerusalem, he's entering in the headquarters of their faith. He is entering in the, the place where it is, in their mind, the hub of their religion. And so the disciples think he is about to go into Jerusalem, and he is about to set up his structure he's about to set up a geopolitical throne a rule where where he tells everybody get in line and take a number because I'm in charge that kind of kingdom now what we know is that's not exactly what happens at least not the way they expect it he goes to the cross but it says Luke tells us that he tells this parable to help them get their minds straight on it, to think straight. He says, because they supposed the kingdom of God was going to appear immediately, but it's not going to appear immediately. It's going to appear after a long delay when he comes back. And so today we're going to look at this parable and, and you're going to be challenged. At least I hope that you're challenged. I hope that you are really challenged. Like I was challenged this week and the last couple of weeks studying this passage and looking and preparing this message that you're going to be challenged to say, And are you being faithful with what the Lord has given you to be a part of spreading the kingdom? You see, parables connect with reality, with the people that are listening, to help them understand, so they naturally are connecting the dots. So Jesus is going to tell this parable, and what he hopes, what he wants to happen in your mind, in your heart, is that you get caught up in the parable you identify with a character in the parable, and you are challenged by it to examine your life and say, when Jesus comes back and asks me, what have you done with what I gave you? That you will be found faithful. Lord, I pray that you will work on our hearts this morning. I pray that that those who are striving to be faithful will be encouraged, Lord, that that we will find encouragement in the fact that you will say well done faithful servant but those of us among us who are not being faithful lord would you wake us up lead us to repent now that we can be found faithful on the day you return and we need your spirit lord we can't i can't do anything in anybody's heart but you are in the business of changing hearts, Lord. So I pray your Holy Spirit moves powerfully this morning through the proclamation of your word. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, so we're going to break the parable down by the characters, and we're going to let that be our outline. And we begin with a character called the nobleman. Look at verse 12. It says, He said, therefore, a nobleman went into a far country To receive for himself a kingdom and then to return. Let me kind of set that up. Let me explain that to you. So imagine among us, we're all, let's just say, uh, we represent the state of Louisiana and the president of the United States has decided to appoint one of us as ruler over the state. So I know this isn't how it works in our republic, but the president decides he's going to be the king over this territory. And so he chooses someone from among us. And so let's just say he chooses Mark Pearson. I mean, that's a great candidate right there, Mark. I mean, you know, we're all excited. He chose Mark. And so he is going to be king. He's been appointed. He's been declared the king of us. One of us will become the king of us. In order for that to be brought about, he has to then travel a long distance to go into this coronation ceremony where, like when I was a Cub Scout and they put a sword on my shoulder, I dubbed these Sir Bobcat. I don't know if anybody remembers that, but I was, I was made a Bobcat when that happened. And so he took, takes the king and he, and he says, you are now officially the king. This is your throne. You're the rightful heir of the throne over these people. So that's what's happening in this nobleman. This nobleman is of high status. He already has people who serve him, work for him. In our language, that would be employees And and so he is a big deal. He was chosen. It's already been declared. He's going to be our king, but he's got to go do the official ceremony to be officially coronated king, and then he's going to come back. So that's the situation with the nobleman. Now I'm going to go ahead and kind of interlace some interpretation throughout our, our time in the parable. This is a picture of Jesus. When you look at this parable, this is a picture of Jesus. They think he's going into Jerusalem. He's about to go ahead and be this powerful king, but he's not. He's going to be this suffering servant first to die on the cross to pay for the sins of those who can be blessed to be in the kingdom. Then he's going to rise from the grave, and he's going to ascend to heaven. That's the faraway land. He's going to go to his faraway land. He's going to be coronated as king. He's going to be ascended to his throne at the right hand of the Father. And then one day, he's coming back. So that's the, the parallel there. And in parables, you can't press it too tightly, but you get the idea. So Jesus knows they're thinking wrong. In Jerusalem, they're thinking, I'm about to be a powerful king, but I've got to help them think right about this. So he tells them a parable about a nobleman, goes away, is going to come back to, to ascend to his powerful throne now before the nobleman goes what does he do he calls servants that's the second character in the parable the servants it says in verse 13 he calling 10 of his servants he gave them 10 mina and he said to them engage in business until i come back so stop there so here we have the second character in the parable are servants these are distinguished from what are called citizens so the servants are employees of the nobleman, and the nobleman's about to head off to a, long, to a long journey. We don't know when he's coming back. And before he leaves, he calls his servants, and he entrusts them with a mina, which is money. It's a coin that's worth of about four months' wages. And he gives them all the same amount. He says, each one of you, ten servants, employees, have this mina. And what does he tell them to do? He says, engage in business. That could also be translated, turn a prophet. Now, this is a picture of the disciples of Jesus. Jesus, before he heads off and ascends to heaven, we see in Luke's account in Acts that he says to them, Now, the power of the Spirit's going to come upon you and be about my business of what? Making disciples. He said that in verse 10. What did Jesus say? In verse 10 was his business. Right after Zacchaeus, he said, he tells us what his business was. He says, for the Son of Man, that's Jesus, came to seek and to save the lost. He says, that's why I'm here. That's why I came. I came in to seek and to save you, the lost. And now as I head off and send off, go off to a distant land while I'm gone, I'm giving you this money. This time, this energy, these resources, these skills, these passions, this influence that you have over children, grandchildren, nieces, nephews, family, over coworkers, over employees, or over your neighbors and your friends. He says, I gave you all of this. I'm heading off to a distant land, and while I'm gone, use this to engage in my business, and what is his business? Winning souls. Disciples, advancing the kingdom, spreading the glory of God, sharing the gospel, using all that you have to be about His business. You know, in Matthew 16 19, Jesus said this about you. If you are a servant, if you are a a follower of Christ, this is profound. This is right after. Peter's confession, Jesus says, well, who do you say I am? They all say this, but who do you say I am? And he says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And he says, I'll give you disciples the keys to the kingdom. I'll give you church the keys to the kingdom of heaven. You have what opens up the doors to the kingdom for people and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven here's the keys to the business I'm going off for a journey engage in the business don't drive the business into the ground don't let the second generation business fail this is why you're here that's what Jesus is saying in this parable It's like don't let it be confusing if there's gonna be a long delay but in the long delay, understand I'm like a business owner who's turned the keys to the business over to you and I'm telling you, keep the business going. Imagine a powerful businessman who owns an incredibly successful business and you work for him and, and you've come to him or, or to her and you say, and they say, come here, I want to talk to you. I'm going to be gone for a long time. Here's the books. Here's the Here's the secret sauce. Here's all the resources. It's yours. Keep the business going. That's what Jesus has done. Jesus is the nobleman. He's the king who died on the cross, who, who was coronated king as he ascended to the Father and, and proved that he was God in flesh. And he's sitting on the throne of the, of the right hand of the Father. And he said before he leave, here's the keys to the kingdom. I came to save, to seek and to save the lost. I'm given everything you have I want you to use it to engage in that same business. Next, we see our third characters, the citizens, as opposed to servants. You have the noblemen and the citizens, I mean, noblemen and the servants, who are among us like citizens, but they're different because they serve the, the king. Now we have the citizens who are the rest of those as opposed to the servants, Verse 14, but his citizens hated him. They sent a delegation after him saying, we don't want this man to reign over us. So stop there. So, so it would be like some of us, no, we would never do this to you, Mark. We love you. But there would be like some of us who said, I don't want him reigning over me. Okay, we'll get a group together. Let's, let's get on a plane and get over there and tell the president, we don't want him being. saying that about jesus we we don't want him ruling over us i don't want him telling me what to do with my money i don't want him telling me what to do with my business my gifts with my kids i'll raise my kids how i want to raise a kid i'll do what i want to do you are not going to tell me what to do that is what the citizens are saying if, if the nobleman represents Jesus, the citizens represent unbelievers who are doing the work of Satan. It's that cut and dry. It's black and white. You know, the world likes to talk about unbelievers pretty, you know, nebulous terms, like everyone's kind of does what's best to them, what they think is right. That's not accurate at all. There are two choices. You are either serving Jesus or you're serving Satan. Even as believers, you are daily aligning yourself with what Jesus wants for your life, or you are aligning yourself with Je- with Satan and the devil if you are doing anything that resists his leadership in your life. So anytime anyone resists Jesus, they are saying, I'm choosing the devil's side, and I am opposing Jesus. I don't want you reigning and ruling over that part of my the nobleman is a picture of Jesus, we have the servants a picture of Jesus' disciples, the citizens who are a picture of unbelievers doing the bidding of Satan and the king's servants before Jesus leaves are entrusted with money and they're commanded keep the business going that's what Jesus has done he has said here's the keys to the office, to the kingdom keep the business going while I'm gone so what happens next have the day of judgment look at verse 15 when he returned the nobleman comes back he's been coronated king he comes back having received the kingdom he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him that he might know what they had gained by doing business period the purpose for his come calling them back to himself. So he calls the church to himself. He calls the servants to himself. He calls his employees to himself. And he says, I want to know what you have gained by doing business in my absence. This is a picture of the day of judgment. And the Bible says that the saints will be judged first. The church will be judged first with what, for what you did while he was gone. convicting concept but I want you to feel the weightiness of this Jesus will speak your name one day and he will say what did you do what did you gain with all that I entrusted to you while I was gone so the king holds him accountable for their fruitfulness. Now, a few things to notice about their situation. These, these servants are not the owners of the mina, they're not the owners of the money. They are stewards, they are holding the possessions of the owner. And they are told, use this and manage this in a way that will be profitable, that will be fruitful for the business he didn't say here's a bunch of money i'm going on a trip go spend it all on yourself just just have fun just do what you want with it just take the take the next 20 years take your whole the rest of your life off it's not what he said he said here i'm entrusting this to you turn a profit for the business and what is this business i came to seek and to save the lost. to make disciples engage in spreading the gospel, advancing the kingdom while I'm gone, and I'm going to come back. And I'm going to ask you, insert name, what did you do with what I gave you? And so we see him in verse 16. We see actually what happens in the next characters. We see in the day of judgment that the servants are divided into two. What we thought was one category of servants actually becomes reveals there's two kinds of servants or quote-unquote servants there's the fruitful servants and then the fruitless servants the day of judgment is very revealing about those who call themselves servants verse 16 the first came before him saying lord your mina that one mina that you gave me has made 10 mina more and jesus said to purpose of your life that should be what you live for to hear those words i wrote those words on my mother's headstone if you haven't had the experience of burying someone you love they ask you four words unless you want to spend a bunch of money four words life and God gave us that verse well done faithful servant because you have been faithful in very little notice what the judgment is about being faithful with what you have been entrusted with Because you have been faithful with very little, you shall have authority over ten cities. And then the second came, saying, Lord, your mina has made five mina. And he said to him, and the way it's written, you presume he said the same thing, Well done, faithful servant. And you are to be over five. So pause there and let's think about this day of judgment. What we notice is that the servants are not the owners, they're managers, they're stewards, and they'll be accountable for what they did with what they were entrusted. And they were all entrusted a little, and they were not judged harshly because the five was less than the 10. Both who were fruitful were declared, well done. So let me start with encouraging you that the day of judgment is a day of reward for his children. I know as I speak about, are you being faithful, that most of us who are truly trying to be faithful would say, I'm terrible at it. And so I want to start and say, pause on that, okay? Let's take a moment and sit. And picture Jesus, because here's how the Bible describes that day of judgment for believers. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Praise God. Amen? There is no condemnation on that day. That you're going to stand before the Lord, and he's going to have the the analogy of the scriptures is a blazing flame. A furnace is going to come blazing through, and it's going to incinerate everything that is not of the Lord. But everything that is of the Lord, that was done to the glory of God, that was done for the kingdom and for him and for his purposes, will remain. And everything that remains, whether it's five minor or ten minor, the Lord's going to take you in his arms, and you're going to see his eyes are going to be love. And he's going to embrace you like you've always wanted to be embraced. And he's going to say, I saw that sacrifice I saw that time that you poured into your kids when you could have done anything else that was more fun but I saw you trying to model Christ for them and let me tell you what else all that stuff that was burned away is also the sludge and the dredge it's the stuff that you do not want there at the final day he burns it away the stuff failures all the things that you think oh I didn't do that as good as I wanted to do that's all gone all is, well done, my child. Well done. You strove, and you worked hard, and I know much of it feels like a failure, but keep on striving for hearing those words, well done. Don't give up. He's going to say it, and there is no greater gift in the world than to hear your creator say, that was awesome. servants on the day of judgment will hear well done even though we feel so many times like a failure true disciples bear gospel fruit some of us will be blessed with more fruit than others of us that's not the judgment it's not based on the fruitfulness what part is in your control it's not the fruit that's in your control it's the faithfulness that's in your control and if you will keep On fighting to be faithful, the Lord will produce fruit. He may produce five for you or one for you or just interest at the bank like we're going to see in a minute or just a tenfold return. But that's not what matters as much as it is, is what are you doing with what God has given you? The influence, the money, the time, the energy, the possessions, the children, the grandchildren, the nieces, the nephews, the cousins, the family, the friends, the neighbors, the co-workers, the employees, the employers, all of this, the gifts, skills, passions, all of this, he says, the water that you swim in with all of this is make disciples. That's why I gave it to you. That's what you're here for. Give it your best shot. He's going to say, well done. Now, what is this whole idea of here's a bunch of cities that you're in charge of? I think it's just a parable. We need to remember the Bible says that we will be co-heirs, co-regents, co-rulers with Jesus over his kingdom. And I think the greatest reward on all of earth is that you will enjoy Christ. So I think the more faithful you are, the more you will enjoy Christ eternally. And I once heard someone say, eternally. That's that's so easy to say, so hard to fathom. Let's think about how long is eternity. Take a diamond, take a diamond, take a feather, and brush it across the top of that diamond. And then brush it across the diamond again. And then brush it across the diamond again. And however long it takes for that feather to so worth it eternally so the fruitful servants their fruit reveals their faithfulness which reveals the genuineness of their claim to be disciples of Jesus on the day of judgment that's what will be revealed it will be worth it next you see the fruitless servants look at verse 20 so then then another came saying well Lord here's the minda that you I kept it laid away in a handkerchief. I buried it in a can in the backyard and covered it up. He says, you take, this is kind of weird part because he describes this guy. We've kind of been thinking of him as Jesus, but let's just kind of remember it's a parable. He says, I was afraid of you. That's why I did this. I was afraid of you because you are a severe man. You take what you did not deposit and you reap what you did not sow. And then he said to him, Jesus says, Well, I will condemn you, or the excuse me, the nobleman said to him, I will condemn you with your own words. You wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man, taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Well, then why did you not put the money in a bank? And at my coming, I would have at least collected it with interest. And he looked around and said to those who stood by, Take the minor from him and give it to the one who has ten minor. And they said, Lord, he has ten. So this third servant is not a faithful steward. He's not truly a servant. He let his fear keep him from being fruitful. His words actually reveal his underlying view of this master, this king. He viewed his master as a fraud. And the servant was not faithful because of his view of the master. Therefore, he was not fruitful. Therefore, at judgment, it's revealed he's no true servant of this king. In fact, the words to him seem to lump him in not with the category of the servants, but with the rebellious citizens that we're going to look at in a minute. So your life's fruit reveals a lot about your claim to be. disciple of Jesus Christian if you are calling yourself a disciple of Jesus you're saying you're following Jesus is what you are doing what Jesus is doing are you in his business of seeking and saving the lost are you making disciples are you spreading his glory are you swimming in that water In verse 26, we see it stated as a principle, I tell you, that to everyone who has, more will be given, but from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. What does that mean? Well, these are the same words used in Luke eight eighteen, the parable of the sower, where Jesus makes a similar point. The point here and the point there is, is that the one who is faithful in this life will be rewarded With more, so that they can be faithful forever. So, casting out faithful seeds, gospel seeds, the more that you cast, the more you have to cast. Given gifts and resources to honor God, the more that you honor God, the more you will be able to honor God. It is this idea of the Lord will invest in his faithful employees, keep being faithful. It doesn't mean you're going to get rich. It just means that God will bless your efforts to honor him and to make disciples. He's a wise steward himself. In the parable of the seeds, it's all about the word of God. What are you doing with the word of God that has been implanted to you? Are you bearing fruit with hearing the word of God and obeying it? And similarly here, it's. Are you being faithful with the money that He has given you, with the time He has given you, with the possessions He has given you, with the influence He has given you, with the skills that He has given you, with the passions He has given you, with the personality He has given you, with the children He has given you, with the grandchildren, with the nieces, the nephews, the students, the employees, the patients, the clients, all of it is for Him. That's why we're here. Otherwise, when he saved us, he would just beam me up, Scotty. Work done. But he says, I want you to enjoy this. I want you to be a part of this. I want you to see the great reward. I want you the opportunity to hear me say, Well done, faithful servant. Are you being faithful? Are you fruitful? See the day of retribution. Notice this day is now a day of retribution for these factious rebels. If we have fruitful servants and fruitless servants, the fruit distinguishes between two people that call themselves servant two people call the nobleman Lord. And now you've got factious rebels. This is the citizens. Verse 27 But as for these enemies of mine, they said, I hate this one. I don't want him ruling over me. I don't like his rules, his law. I don't want I hate him And Jesus says, or the nobleman says, "As for these enemies of mine, who did not want me to reign over them? bring them here and slaughter them." think about what hell is. Remember that that we are souls that are eternal and bodies that are temporary. And when we come to our end, our bodies are done away with. They're slaughtered. they're, They're turned into worm dirt. But our souls live on and they're going one of two places. Those who choose Jesus and say, I want Jesus, get Jesus. And those who say, I don't want Jesus, are separated from Jesus forever. And when you're separated from Jesus, there is no light, there is only darkness, there is no no holiness, there is only sin, there is no joy or goodness or pleasure or all the blessings of God. You choose anything other than Jesus, and you are choosing to be separated from that eternally, forever and ever and ever, and it's no one's fault but your own. And that's what we see a picture of. So I ask you, do you hear the words of the parable? Are you identifying with one of the characters in the parable? I promise you, none of us is the nobleman. So you have to ask yourself, as the parable intends, are you fruitful servant of the lord are you the fruitless servant or are you the factious rebel so i've been convicted this week to be more faithful i've been encouraged to be more faithful and i pray pray that you have been as well jesus has gone to a faraway country He's sitting on his throne. He's the rightful heir. He's the rightful king. And each of us has to choose. Do I, do I want it, him to be king over me or not? And if I do, then I realize that he died. He came and seek to save the He came to save me. He came to save you. And if he saved you, he gave everything he had to save you. And that then propels you and motivates you to say, I'll give everything I have. I I'll put it all on the table. What does that mean to put it all on the table to serve the Lord? It doesn't just simply mean okay, so am I supposed to just get a stack of gospel tracts like this and just walk around handing them out to people and say, Jesus loves you, Jesus loves you, you." what is it supposed to mean? It's supposed to mean that everything in life is viewed through this lens of that's why you're here. I don't know what that'll look like exactly for you. It may be that you go somewhere and hand out gospel tracts. The guy on the auto mall, Jesus is coming back. But it may be understand that you have been given that position of leadership over hundreds of people at work or to work with hundreds of clients or students or two kids or four eight twelve grandkids and you just realize what am i doing jesus is going to ask me what did you do with what i gave you So it's a mindset. Don't be confused like them. Don't think that this is victory time and God's just giving you all this to go be on vacation your whole life. That's not what this is. That's that's afterlife. This time is stewardship time. It's sacrifice time. It's be about the business time. We've got a short time to make disciples. So don't be confused. That's what we're supposed to be doing right now. Be a faithful steward. Trust God to make you fruitful if you are he's going to say well done but all this hinges on one thing knowing him as savior experiencing his grace and i pray that you will today whether you're a fruitless servant or a factious rebel whatever the case may be that you will turn to jesus and say lord God, we pray that you will work in hearts this morning, that your spirit will move powerfully, that this will be a safe place of love, of grace, of mercy, where sinners like me, the chief of sinners, can repent and start. us with so much so that we could be about your business help us to be